Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. And today's teaching comes from Luke 22, verses 39 and 46. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the mountain of olives, and the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This is the word of the Lord. At the very minimum, they think they're funny. So that's at the very minute. They might, they might be funny, but oh, was that too far? Too far. So, sorry, volunteers. You guys are wonderful. Oh, thank you guys so much. You really are wonderful. And I guess I'll have to dance next week to prove it. Um, well, th- good morning. And um, my name is Russell. I'm the pastor here, one of the pastors here. And um, over the last few weeks, it's been amazing to see some new faces around here. And so please hang around after, say hello. Um, and I just want you to know, welcome. We are a community following Jesus, um, seeking the good of our city. And so hopefully, um, as time goes on, we know how to do that better and better. And we're growing and we're becoming um, more like Jesus. And so I hope today, um, I know that it already has been, I hope today is a really good glimpse at um, who we are and who we long to be as a church. So um, this morning, I want to start um, our uh, fall teaching series. Um, this graphic will come up, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, and I'm very, um, very grateful for um, the amount of people in our community that are helping lead our community groups and really submitting to um, the process of becoming emotionally whole people. Um, so um, I'm going to spend the time today to really set the stage for what that means and what that looks like and where we're heading. And I just want you to know I'm not going to solve everything today like as if we can solve everything in one day anyway. Um, but I just... Um, you have to come back next week. That, that's, my, that's it. That's what you have to do. Um, and I should also tell you that uh, in preparation for the series, I took the word emotional um, really seriously, and I, like, went back 2004, 2005, Spotify playlist. Like, emo forever was, like, the, the jam. It was, like, Taking Back Sunday, Fallout Boy, Death Cab. By the way, Death Cab just put a new album out on Friday, which I was, like, I listened to it, like, 19 times already. But anyway... Um, This series is unashamedly um, modeled after a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete and Jerry Scazzaro. Here's the book. Um, We're not going to be preaching chapter by chapter or anything like that. Um, Definitely want to submit everything in here to um, scripture. But this has been a gift, and I'll kind of walk through that in just a second to them. But I want to give credit to where credit's due. Um, High-level ideas, frameworks come from Pete and Jerry Scazzaro at New Life Fellowship um, in Queens, and we're very grateful um, for them. And then here's our primary um, premise for the next 10 weeks. Um, it, is, it is not possible to be spiritually mature 
while remaining emotionally immature. And so we're gonna mine the depths of what that looks like from a personal standpoint, and we're gonna be talking about emotional health, and then we're gonna be talking about contemplative spirituality and speaking to the, the relationship of these two things through the lens of scripture. And so some high-level ideas that we're gonna to get to um, here on the next slide, it's naming and recognizing and managing our own feelings, breaking free from self-destructive patterns, uh, being aware of how our past impacts our presence. We're going to be assessing our own strengths and limits and weaknesses, and then we're going to be learning to resolve conflict maturely. And I just want to say this up front, these are discipleship issues. Like, these are following Jesus matters. These are not, like, separate, and that's what we're really integrating. And then on the, the right side, the contemplative spirituality, we got to slow down. Like, as a whole culture, as a church, we've got to slow down so we can be present with God. And then we're understanding our life as a journey right? The spiritual life is a journey, and we're all on a journey, and we're all in different places in the journey, and so we want to honor each other's journey. Um, we're going to be loving others out of a life of love uh, for God, and then um, we'll talk about this at the end today, but we're adopting historic practices of spiritual, spirituality that are um, applicable to today. We're talking about prayer, and we're talking about silence and solitude. Um, these are ways of us, uh, for us to love God. So that's going to be um, our roadmap, and this has been personally relevant um, to me. Um, maybe the best way that I could say it is, is that it's been positively disruptive, meaning when you go on a journey like this, if you, if you, if you say, I want to um, understand my uh, family of origin, sometimes that's going to mean pushing into some hard truths and hard realities, but this is the way that we um, grow. And so this has been um, my truth is that um, I've, I've read this book. This is my third time reading it and going through it. Um, and one of the most amazing things that we sort of accidentally did in a lot of ways um, with, with Katie and with Emily and my wife Katie is that um, during the pandemic, like right in the height of it, we met online in a group um, to try and assess where we were. Um, it was a scary time. And I'm really grateful that, I'm grateful to these two in particular who um, really led us through that. And um, it was grateful, it was helpful to my marriage, it was helpful to my friendships. And so I'm, I'm indebted to you two. And so let me say three caveats and then um, let me pray and then we'll get into the, the text for today. Here's my first caveat. I am not, and your community group leaders are not counselors, and this is not therapy. I just want to make that um, really clear up front. We do have some trauma-informed people in our community groups, which is absolutely wonderful, and it's a gift, but this is not that. While I say that, I do want to um, acknowledge that it's possible, if you're here over the next 10 weeks, that you're like, I actually want to seek further help and care. I want someone to help me navigate my family of origin. I want to walk alongside. And so I want you to know that here you'll be met with empathy and care and ears that will hear you. And then um, from a cultural standpoint, we actually need um, the church at large, and, and we'll, we'll go first here if we have to, but we need to normalize counseling and therapy. Um, Katie and myself have both been through counseling. I've personally been medicated in the past. It's very, very helpful for me, and I want to normalize um, some of this as we go through something um, like emotional, mental, and spiritual care. Um, there is a mental health resource guide uh, that's very, very practical on our website. If you go to reunionnyc.com backslash resources, there's a Google Doc there that has a list of counselors and therapists in the city. Um, I'm going to recommend like top down. I've kind of reordered them this week um, for you. If you have questions about any of those or any of those resources, please do not hesitate to email us. Caveat number one. Caveat number two, growth is painful refining, right? So if you want to grow, I want, I want to challenge you to push into what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks and months. Um, if you start to feel uncomfortable or it's stirring up something that's um, hard for you, 
This is not a forced journey by any means. I, I, I have a reminder, you're gonna be met with care and love on the journey, and, but please say something, and I wanna challenge you to push in. And then caveat number three, and I got this from Will, wherever you are. Um, caveat number three is this. This is one person's perspective on emotional health. And so let's read critically, let's read biblically, let's do this together, and I just wanna make that very, very clear that, um, that w again, we're not preaching chapters of the book or anything like that, all right? Let's pray. So God, I love you, and I'm just gonna ask that um, you would meet us here, that your Holy Spirit would be evident over the next um, couple months as we seek your heart, as we seek um, to learn and to understand ourselves, but also that we would be taking steps in maturity uh, in our spiritual life, in our emotional life, in our physical life, that, we, um, that maybe we'd look at this season this fall and we'd say, that was a time I grew up. That was a time I became more aware of who I am. That was a time I grew in my boundaries. And so I just ask right now as we look at this scripture, as we understand um, who you are, that you would help me, God. I need your help in um, understanding the scriptures, in um, uh, proclaiming and teaching your truth. And I just pray that you would be um, found in this place, that we'd be a community of love and care, and that ultimately it would mean that we are connected to you in prayer. And so we love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so our journey today, uh, let's talk about the problem, um, like the context of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. I want to talk about how our God feels, um, like does God feel, and what does that mean about our humanity? And then I want to wrap up at the end with this phrase, disrupt your autopilot, all right? So you'll, we'll get there, don't worry. What is the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality? And you find it in two places. You can find it in the text, and you can find it in your life, okay? You can find it in the text, and you can find it in your life. And where do we start anything in any church? In Genesis, all right? So Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then we get to verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so what is the writer communicating? Writer's communicating you are not the product of chance, depressing, right? But rather, you are the product of the love and care of the creator God. And so you as a whole, your soul was crafted with intentionality and creativity in what the Bible calls the Imago Dei. And what do you know about yourself? You are a person with feelings, right? So let's just hold that there, okay? We, we got the text right there. We're understanding we're made in the image of God. What do we know about ourselves? There's a sort of logic that we can live into there. And let's leave that there. What happens in chapter 3 of the Bible? The fall, right? Man sins against God. Here's Genesis 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. There's a sort of awareness that um, Adam and Eve come to in the garden. And a lot of people, uh, theologians and us alike, have, have pondered the question, why does God ask Adam and Eve where they are? Why the question, where are you, right? Isn't God all-knowing? Isn't he omniscient? Like, shouldn't he already know where they are? And scholars pretty much um, all together have come to the conclusion God wanted Adam to reflect on what he had done. God wanted Adam to reflect on what had just taken place. 
And so this is where I think is the best place to begin, is to reflect, where are you? Like, where are you? And we'll just create a little bit of, of space for contemplation. Where are you? Or even as you come in here this morning, like, wh where does that leave you? What are you thinking about? Why did you come here today? It's 2022, and collectively, we've been through a lot, right? Like, two and a half years has been a lot. What have we been through? A once-in-a-lifetime global pandemic, hopefully once-in-a-lifetime, right? At first, um, we may have been feeling confused or worried or fearful, or maybe the feeling that you were experiencing was powerless. Or there's um, social aspects of the pandemic that we've been through, right? That we've been isolated. Or maybe you'd even look back on a season and you'd say, actually, I found a lot of depth with family and friends during that season as I was really tight-knit with them. Or maybe you think back on the last two and a half years and you think, wow, there's actually a lot of grief to be had, like a loss that was experienced. Like the last two years, there's actually a lot to mourn in that season, things that I missed. I know I look around and I think of um, graduations that were never had, celebrations like that that were never had because of it. Or what about the last two and a half years? What about the idea of violence? Like even that feeling of being unsafe, right? Mass shootings or racially motivated violence um, specific to black and brown bodies, war. A lot of it has left us feeling uh, nauseated, numb. Or maybe um, when we think about these ideas, we've just grown apathetic and worn out. And so it's like, let's just, let's just move on from the conversation. A widening political divide, right? Maybe it leaves you feeling overwhelmed or just indifferent, apathetic. Uh, we live in a time of skepticism towards leaders and leadership, right? Scandals and headlines lead us to question the integrity of others, leading us um, feeling skeptical or even dismissive of people in leadership as a whole. We live in a time of climate change, which can leave us feeling powerless or even angry. That's like the, the outside parts, right? when we ask the question, where are you? What about um, sort of undergirding our society as like a low-grade anxiety because of social media, right? Like we have digital nicotine in our pockets. I know some of us won't be able to sit here for an hour without opening up our phone, opening it and then closing it, right? Like why did I even do that? I don't know why I do that. No reason, right? Not to mention the relational tension issues, the parenting, the roommates, and we ask, where are you? And let's not forget, right, it's not all doom and gloom. Maybe you'd say, well, you know, actually, I'm in a season that's very exciting. I just moved to the city, and so I'm feeling free and energized and eager. Or you'd say, we just got married, and I'm feeling excited and hopeful, right? The, the spectrum is forever, but the reality is it's a lot what we've been through. It's a lot. And this is where we've been. And in one sense, you could come in here and you can say, well, actually, it's encouraging that You've made it through a lot. You've experienced a lot, and you're still here. But the importance is, is we would do well to honor the truth and the reality of our season and stage of life, that we would just come in here and say, I am a whole person, and I am present. Because we do not do justice to the truth by ignoring reality. So Dan Allender and Tremper Longman, they write this book. I'm about halfway through it. It's called The Cry of the Soul. They say this. They say, ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, and reality is where we meet God. God can meet you right there, right? He can meet you right in that place. And then it goes on to say, if we want to know God, we must ponder and struggle with our feelings to gain an understanding of the passions that rule us. 
right? And so God crafted, created, designed us in this sort of mystery of humanity with emotions, feelings, and longings. And it's very possible that listening to our emotions is actually a way of ushering us into reality. But some of you are already starting to argue with me in your head. And here's what you're saying. You're saying, Russell, that's very nice, but fact over feeling, right? Or Jeremiah chapter 17, um, verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Here's the irony of our emotional life. Emotions seem to be the least reliable things in our lives, and yet they're the most influential thing that guide us, right? Even if you'd say, you know what, I'm, I don't even know if I'm about this idea yet, you should acknowledge that the least reliable, most influential. And so we struggle with our feelings to, to gain an understanding of the passions that rule us. That's what Dan Allender says. And so what we should do is actually lean in and say, why am I experiencing that? And is there a pathway or does that have something to teach me about God, even, even if I believe it to be completely unreliable in this season? Again, I'm creating some tension, right? And so we're going to stir that up. We're going we're gonna to get there a little bit here today. But here in our passage, I love the acknowledgement. There's an acknowledgement of a sinless, the sinless person of Jesus and an emotional life. Look at verse 41. It says, And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him, and listen to this, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. A little bit of context here. This is um, near the end of Luke's gospel. Um, Jesus is, is heading toward the cross. And my guess is in the garden, he's both thinking about the physical reality that he has to face on the cross, but he's also thinking about the supernatural one, which is the weight of humanity's sin on him, the agony and the in anticipation. And there's such an emotional weight on the person of Jesus. Um, it, the, the medical condition is called hematidrosis, that um, literally, um, this is, I, I, I like copy and pasted the medical thing here, a rare medical condition where the sweat glands are surrounded by tiny, tiny blood vessels that constrict then dilate to the point of rupture, causing you to sweat blood. Jesus has a weight on him. The word is agony. And then in Mark's gospel is a little maybe more helpful language for us. In verse 33, he says, And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. What's my point? Jesus feels. Jesus was not like an emotionless person being God walking on earth, but rather he was God in the flesh, incarnating himself, putting on flesh and bones, and submitted himself even to the feeling of humanity. But it's not even that. When you look throughout the scriptures, this is quite a mystery, and I was trying to go through so many different passages this week, what you actually find is that God feels. He didn't run from emotion. He had them, and they're acknowledged. In Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. And so God feels anger and hatred towards sin and evil. What about jealousy? God feels jealousy. Joshua said to the people, You are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. 
Genesis 6, 6, and the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth. And what does it say? And it grieved him to his what? His heart. God has a heart, and it, he's grieved in that place. God feels compassion and love and joy, Isaiah 62. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Psalm 135, verse 14, for the Lord will vindicate his people in what? Have compassion on his servants. God feels. I don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think about that very often, right? Like, I think of God as some sort of, like, like, um, like stern father who never has any emotion, but apparently God feels. And then he made us whole people. I want to put this chart up, and this is actually in the book, that um, these are aspects or components of who we are, is that we have a physicality to us, we have a brain, we have emotions, and we have relationships, and then the, the spiritual life in which we have. And so, like, I just want to run through these, and, and I want you to think about the components of who you are and how you weigh them or how you value them about who you are. And so God made you and I a body, right? I think this is a generally an understated part of our identity. Your identity is fu fused to your physicality, and so your body really determines a lot about you. Your gender, your size, your race, your vulnerability, your health, your metabolism, your proclivities towards mobility and communication. And so... In one sense, you could say of your identity, I am a body, right? And what we do with our bodies matters to God, it matters to ourselves, and it matters to other people. That's a part of the whole. And then we also know that we're social, right? Um, some people say, like, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? Like, we are, in one sense, the relationships or the relational nature of who we are. Life is inherently, inherently relational. Life is, um, we have friends and families, um, when you look at the Bible, the Bible is teaching us how to live and be in relationship with other people. Intellectually, you are a thinker, right? Your mind assigns meaning and interprets things and places value on um, what gives weight and value in, into your life, right? You have a mind that can think theologically. You can learn and understand and grasp God. And then, of course, you and I are spiritual, this sort of mystery uh, a way of seeking God that we desire. We, um, we talk about the heart a lot culturally. Um, in the Greek, uh, the, the word the heart is the cardia. It's the effective center of our being. I, I love one scholar said that the heart is the desire producer that makes us tick, right? The spiritual side of things, the heart is what actually allows us to assign meaning and value. And hopefully what we receive back is like a, a sense of purpose and meaning, right? But what happens when this happens? When our spiritual life supersedes our social or intellectual or emotional or physical life? And you could do this with each of them, right? If, like, if the intellect is the biggest thing, what can happen is that we become numb to others or ourselves. Um, if the physical is the most important thing to us, then we can seek pleasures or um, we can even become really vain. The social, we can grow tired. But in this scenario, often what happens, and I've seen this a lot, not just in like Christian circles, but in religious circles at large, when the spiritual supersedes everything, what ends up happening is that we minimize our humanity, right? We run over our emotional life, and then what we believe that our emotional work to do is, is are you experiencing bad emotions? Cover them up quickly with good ones, right? You're feeling anger? You just need to be more happy, right? You feel grief from a loss? Just put that behind you and push forward. 
You're feeling resentful. Well, what you need to do is actually just feel grateful, right? That's what happens when the spiritual takes up too much. You're feeling out of control. You just need to find a way to be more powerful. What is this? This is emotionally unhealthy spirituality, right? It's not a way of honoring your humanity. It's a way of lessening your humanity so that you can be this spiritual being. And so one of the things that I was thinking a lot about this week is how do, we, how do I display that in a way that um, seems both genuine but not so personal? Because the truth is, is um, it's hard to be honest in these ways. It's hard, especially, you know, like some of you are just visiting for the first time. You're like, that's a lot, you know. <laughs> this, is, this is a lot, man. So what I think we, um, I was thinking about this this week, and I was like, well, you know, maybe what I could do, and I'm, I'm happy to post this or send it to you or whatever, but I just created some case studies, like we're in school again, of, of people, fake people, but if problems, maybe you could see yourself in. So I'm going to read through some of these, um, just four case studies. They're really short. Um, and just maybe you would just identify in some ways, just to acknowledge maybe some of your shortcoming in these areas. So Sean, I should have put these, I just, I, I should have put these with pictures of people, like fake people. Like, here's Sean. It's actually Harry Styles or something. Um, I have good ideas, but I just too late, I guess. Um, Sean. Sean is a community group leader at his church. He's on the prayer team. He regularly serves at the Father's Heart in the East Village. Externally, he gives, 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 but the reality is underneath his servant heart is a desperate need for, our, for approval from other people. He's actually burning out and growing resentful and insecure that he's not getting enough affirmation for his good deeds. Spiritually strong, emotionally immature. What about Sarah? Sarah's had a lot of friends come and go from her life. She's busy at work, busy traveling, busy catching up with friends. She says yes to way too much and regularly makes promises she has no intention of keeping. She says one thing to people's faces and then another behind their back because she's scared that any conflict will lead to people abandoning her. And so she fills up her schedule with more and new friends. She ignores negative emotions such as anger, sadness, and fear. She's busy but ignoring conflict and negativity. Jacqueline. Jacqueline had a tough upbringing. Her parents divorced at a crucial time in her life, middle school. She didn't want to cause them any more problems, so in high school and college, she became a perfectionist, being sure to never make any mistakes or be a bother. She usually crushes it at work, but lately she's found she's not quite making the cut. She's becoming increasingly unteachable, insecure, and defensive. And what about Pat? Pat is a dynamic and gifted speaker. He's praised in public. He's so good at what he does, but he's an unloving spouse and an absent father at home. His good energy is regularly given to other people, and so when he shows up at home, he's empty. Looks good on the outside, emotionally immature. And here's the reality. You can have all the right religious behaviors. You can fast. You can have your daily devotional. You can come here on Sundays. You can serve. And you should do all those things. Those are great things. You can look good, and you can be perceived as morally righteous, and you can still be an emotional infant. And this is what I don't want um, for myself, right? I don't want to be pat. I don't want to crush it at work and then go home and be an absent dad. Like, I'm speaking to myself here, too. I don't want this for you, and I don't want this for our church. This is why we're going through this, because I want our church to be great at conflict. Conflict comes in any community. And so how do we do it with an, a level of integrity and maturity where we're growing together, right? And how do, we, how do we even begin to be people that are mature enough to say, I do that. 
I do that, I'm falling short of God's standard, and I repent, and I want to come back. And this is where I want to draw you back to this text, because both Jesus' humanity, we should honor it, and we can honor our own through that, but what else does Jesus do in verse 41? And I just think this is like, this is what it is, this is the process we're going to be going through. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What does Jesus do? He accesses, identifies, names, owns what he's experiencing, and he goes to his knees in prayer. He says, this is my whole life. This is the thing that I'm going through, and I'm taking them to God in prayer submits them to God, and he asks. I, I think this is an understated part of the New Testament. Jesus asks for the weight of the cross to be taken from him. And then what does he say? Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And in the end, he says, I submit what my will to yours. I'm experiencing this thing. It can actually teach me something. It can be useful. I come to you with these longings, and I submit them to you in prayer. And what do I do anyway? I commit my trust to you, God. I commit my trust to you. I love the pathway, not my will, but yours be done. And this is healthy spirituality. It's the ability to say, I am experiencing these things, but ultimately, God, it's about you and it's not about me. But that doesn't negate my experience. That doesn't negate the things that I'm going through or that you're bringing me through. Um, Dan Allender says in his book, The Cry of the Heart, he says, emotions are like messengers from the front lines of the battle zone. Our tendency is to kill the messenger but if we listen carefully, we will learn how to fight the war successfully. And so Jesus is actually experiencing distress and agony, but he commits them to prayer and commits them to God and trust. Um, one of the things, you can laugh at me, it's fine, I don't care. Um, I'm, I'm growing up in maturity, so you can laugh at me about this. But one of the things that's been so helpful to me, Katie introduced this to me. Uh, it's on the next slide, I think. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. Uh, sorry, team. <laughs> Okay, so this is something called a feelings wheel, and uh, they were laughing at me at community group last week. They're like, Russell, why do you always use this thing? And I'm going to tell you why today. It's kind of serious, um, but um, Katie introduced this to our group when we were going through emotionally healthy spirituality, and what it is is it's, it's the ability to name what you're feeling, and one of my, um, one of my uh, sort of aha moments was when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I'm like, I don't know, I'm fine. You know, like, this is kind of the go-to. It's like, I'm good. Um, but actually, I don't, I'm not really good at naming and accessing and identifying these things. I, I've come to learn that means I'm feelings repressed, all right? Um, but upon further um, reflection, and we'll use this some in, in community groups if your um, community group leaders um, like to. It's a really great, uh, honestly, gift. It's feelingswheel.com or .org, um, and you can look it up. But... Um, I was reflecting a little bit this week on why that is for me. And uh, my parents uh, divorced when I was seven. Um, and as some of you know firsthand, when your parents separate or divorce, uh, there's a severing inside of you, right? There's a lot of questions that um, um, you begin to ask. But really what it is, it's the distortion of how you see and navigate the nuclear family. And so I was reflecting this week on uh, my sisters and, and myself and how we sort of navigated this season of being children and our parents um, not being together anymore, and I was going through the feelings wheel, and I was like, okay, what was it? You know, it was like, for me, it was like worry and feeling out of control. Maybe for my sister, it was numb or withdrawn, 
um, or disappointed or seasons of loneliness or isolation or feeling a sense of abandonment. Um, I'll never forget um, third grade. My mom, my parents had separated. Um, my mom moved to California. I was living in Arizona and I go to a new school and like I'm mama's boy. Like, so I can't, I can't, I gotta go to school. My mom doesn't take me to school. You know, I just like walked there by myself. And I remember standing in the back uh, of class, just crying at the end of the, the first day of school. Like, what is happening to my family? And then, um, not to get into all the details, but like over the years, what would I hear? Like, Russell, you're just too sensitive. Just move on, you know? Mommy and daddy don't love each other anymore. Like, why are you crying? And so um, I sort of had this aha moment this week where I was like, well, I have a hard time accessing and identifying my feelings because I was told to. I was told to move on. And I internalized that, like, you're just too sensitive. It's like, okay, we'll just stop being sensitive and push that part of you away. And the reality is that when we come to an idea like this, um, for a lot of us, it wasn't modeled well. And so in some ways, that's going to be the goal uh, of this, is that we actually model this together because we're not to stuff and to stifle and to hide, but we're actually to live into the truth of who God made us to be and trust that he can transform those areas. And so today, I don't want to solve too much. I don't want to assume too much about your story. That's my experience. Um, maybe you're like me and you're kind of like, a little shaken up this morning. Um, maybe you're thinking, or maybe um, you're evaluating. Um, but here's the last thing. Um, and it just, this slide will come up. It just says, disrupt your autopilot. I don't know if you knew this, but um, up to 95% of the length of a domestic flight is actually flown on autopilot. I learned this week that the plane can actually land itself. Um, like, they've taught planes to land themselves. It's amazing. Um, but 95%. And scientists actually say that upwards of 95% of what we do in our life is actually unconscious, right? Like, you can be on autopilot and do a lot of things. That's why you can drive like a hundred, hundreds of miles without even thinking about it, right? Or you get up in the morning, you really haven't thought that much, and all of a sudden you're in class or you're at your desk at, at work, right? Um, what a gift that is when we're tired. But that's not how we should live, right? And some of us, if we're honest, coming out of the pandemic, it's like, it's actually been easier to just be on autopilot. Like, that's been a good thing for us. And I would just say, I think it's time to disrupt it. And the reason is, is because we desire to meet God. And there are ways of, of meeting with God that actually um, have to do with leaning into some of our feelings of fear and jealousy and despair and shame that are yearning to be transformed by the grace and care and love of Jesus. Actually, and in one sense, that's why you're here this morning, is because that you believe that God could change you, that God could come into your life and begin to form you, and actually these can be um, places and ways of healing from grief and experiences that you've been through. And so here's a challenge to disrupt your autopilot. And this is going to be, sorry, Josh, I keep knocking all your papers over. Two minutes of silence. Two minutes of silence every morning for the next five days. And so if you, if you want to join us in this challenge, you can just get your phone out right now. Um, you got to get up two minutes early. I think you can do this, right? You don't even have to. You probably waste that amount of time. But here's the challenge. Um, to disrupt your autopilot for the next five days, wake up in the morning and spend two minutes in silence as a way of acknowledging your humanity and who you are. And maybe before you, you get silent, you just want to say, God, would you speak? Holy Spirit, would you draw near to me? Would you remind me who you are? And then be quiet. And what, what are you doing? You're giving God the first word in your day. 
Give God your first word. Disrupt the autopilot of rolling over and looking at your phone. Disrupt the autopilot of rushing to get ready. Disrupt the autopilot of repeating the alarm, you know, snooze. And maybe as you listen, you just hear this. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. Maybe what you'd hear is that God can handle what you're experiencing. Maybe what you hear is um, the name of a friend pop in your head that you care about. But to believe that God has come close and that God can actually speak into your life. Disrupt the autopilot. Two minutes of silence. That's it. That's all we're asking. It's two minutes. If you can do five, congratulations. You know, that's, that's good for you. But I think that this is a way of saying, God, I want you to have the first word in my day, and I'm going to let you have the first word in my day. And so um, last thing, and then we'll wrap up. As a church, one of the things that um, I've noticed over the years is that um, if you're not thoughtful about how you worship, um, you come and you get a little entertainment and you get a little bit of information and you fuse those together and you get infotainment, right? I'm not that entertaining, and so um, we have to do something differently. And so one of the things that we've been working on with a team of people around here is, um, and we've been interjecting into our service, and hopefully you've seen it over the last couple of weeks, is how do we gather for real formation? How do we gather as people and we begin to practice and look more like Jesus? And so, um, you know, certain denominations may call this liturgies or practices or formation. We are a non-denominational church, but I do think it's worthy to lean into some of these practices as ways of gathering for um, prayers of the people, reciting creeds. And I think today I want to just practice this together, confession and assurance of pardon. I think it's a really great way of acknowledging who we are, where we've been, and then being reminded of the good news of Jesus covered over for us. And so, um, we don't gather. We don't gather for church because we're good moral people. We're not just here to, like, get a couple moral principles and walk out, but we're here because we identify with the forgiveness and grace of Jesus, and that covers us. And so, in the prayer of confession here that's going to come up, we're going to read this together in just a second. We acknowledge our guilt and our gratitude together, and we do this corporately, Okay? So let's begin here. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name, through Christ our Lord. Amen. And this is followed by an assurance of pardon. You don't need to read this, but hear this today. Hear the good news. Christ died and rose again for us. He reigned in power and praise for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old life has gone and a new life has begun. Believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Let's pray together today. And so, Father, um, we can collectively say that it is our desire um, to become whole people, um, to become uh, true to ourselves, who, who we are, who we were created to be, to love and to serve others, to, to become a collective whole that says we want to serve and give our life away to other people. And I just pray for our time over the, the coming weeks that you would meet us here, that as we sort of bump into something uncomfortable in our life, that um, you would come alongside us and let us, let us know that we are um, cared for. 
that we're valued, that we're created in your image, made with intentionality. I pray for the stories that will come over the next um, few weeks. Um, may they just be um, honoring to you. May they put a smile on your face and may your spirit abound as we um, seek to love other people and to love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.